podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Hello, it's Steve Bloomers Washing, your independent Derby County fan podcast, back for another warming winter helping of Rams reaction. More away day woes at the weekend then, this time at the hands of Derby's biggest rivals. But on the plus side, we've got a full house to analyse the Rams' last two games. Joining me, Chris Parsons, he's wondering how much hair he'll have left by the time Derby next win away. You all right, Richard? Bit, bit unnecessary. Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> He's consistent at home and on the road. You're right, Anton. All right. And uh, Tom's on the source already. He's uh, you got a cheeky round in. What are we what are we drowning our sorrows with? I thought it was a uh, post Brexit. Let's have a bit of positivity. So we've got a French beer here, a Pelforth Blonde, five point eight percent. It's not Love technically post Brexit, but anyway, that's they, uh, that's the last we can say on that subject. I do like a uh, French Blonde. What about beer though? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, all right. Yes, yeah, all right. Good choice, Tom. You've also given us a little snack to go with it and I, I just said to you just get some crisps in or something just get like you know a packet of Monster Munch but instead you've made what I can only describe as the biggest sausage roll <laughs> I've ever seen yeah well I mean I thought it's an absolute force of nature that thing <laughs> it's not wrong I can Why see not? it from here I felt like it's looking at me <laughs> it's intimidating are we are we talking about food and drink so we can avoid talking about yesterday? Is that what, yeah? Is that we're going to talk about sausage rolls for the next thirty five <laughs> minutes. Is that right of you? Uh, on the subject of beer and all that stuff, a friendly reminder before we get stuck in that Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. And let's be honest, lads, shout out to the staff at the tap last week for staying open during those crazy high water levels on the uh, on the Derwent in the last few days as they're right on the river so pay them a visit why don't you and on the agenda for podcast 67 it's now been two years since we beat or even scored against nottingham forest we try to work out what's behind derby's most depressing stats of the season there's a uh, plenty of listener reaction to that one nil defeat at the city ground and why exactly we're on fire at home but so toothless on the road uh, the implications of course of sacking Derby's ever-present captain Richard Keogh and uh, the big reveal on our next ex-Ram interview and some more geographical quiz bants with a uh, where ram I poser to uh, finish up but I'll ask you first Richard I'm, uh, I don't know about you but I'm getting a bit sick of not scoring or beating Forest. how about you? Yeah bring back David Nugent I guess is the uh, is the answer to that I think the last Derby County goal scorer against Nottingham Forest uh, yeah not, not great uh, I've obviously we've kind of been able to paper over that particular crack because we have been consistently finishing above them for the last few years as well. But uh, never, never, never nice to be on the on the wrong end of a of a of a poor form against your local rivals. Yeah, I think it's um it's been disappointing over the last couple of years. Um, Derby not obviously scoring against them, but I do think there was enough positives for me yesterday. Uh, the last few performances against Forest, I think we've been a bit weak and a bit sort of timid. Whereas yesterday, I thought we had a real go at them, and we were unlucky not to score. Um, for me, definitely unlucky not to get a point. Yeah, a surprisingly philosophical outlook on uh, social media from some of our comments. And so on. It's never nice to lose a derby, especially when you haven't won one for as long as we have. Um, but a lot of fans seem to be able to see the bigger picture and recognise that on another day, 
we could have got a draw and it was you know one of those classic championship fine margins games yeah for sure we definitely had chances um Lawrence Martin Marriott all could have scored and, and potentially should have scored as well so definite positives it's never nice to to lose any game but especially against Nottingham Forest I mean it didn't really start as we planned at all when uh, Matt Clark had to go off within the first 15 minutes after uh, a pretty shocking tackle which by the way should have definitely been a yellow but wasn't even wasn't even that just when we were starting to to, to find our rhythm I thought Bielik was starting to, to impose himself on the midfield and Clark and Davis had looked before that like they were starting to generate a bit of a partnership. Um, Coach, how much do you think that early setback impacted our overall game plan? Yeah, it definitely has. I think we've been all crying out uh, for a few weeks on the pod to see uh, Davis and Clark being given a run and they haven't always looked uh, completely comfortable with each other, both on the ball and defensively, but there has been signs in the last uh, seven days that that has been getting better and I thought they started the game really well and particularly uh, Bielik, I thought, started the game really well um, and was, for me, looked like uh, looked like the player we thought we'd signed. He was making interventions, he was making tackles, he was maybe finding some space or beating one man but then making a simple pass which he's been criticised for not doing like he looked like he was in control of that and the shinny and Holmes in front of him looked like they were in control so just shuffling people around when 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 Matt Clark got injured Tom and I had a conversation we're like maybe if Evans comes on maybe he should just go centre-back to leave Bielik in there but you can see why he'd put Bielik in the centre-back and Evans into central midfield because that is their more natural positions but I think it did have an impact but Derby continued to have a very good first half I thought I don't think it had an immediate impact on us but I think as the game went on we probably missed that that Bielik uh, presence in, in central midfield I'd agree but I also think um, on reflection putting Evans at centre-back would have been a mistake Graben's a handful and I don't think Evans is the strongest in the air and the most physical and Bielik is a, is a big lad and he struggled against Graben so um, I think that Koku got the change right it's annoying and it's unfortunate um, I think that was the first of quite a few officiating errors yesterday that Ryan Yates wasn't given a yellow card potentially even a red card. I mean, it's a, it's a really shocking tackle. It's over the top of the ball for me. Um, and I think it's a definite yellow. And the fact is, I know it's early on in a derby game, but at the same time, it doesn't matter. Like, it's a really poor tackle. I think, I think Clark and, uh, and Curtis Davis and the rest of the derby team actually let uh, Forrest uh, get away of that one. I thought if possibly if that had been a Richard Keogh or a Tom Huddleston in that team, think back to the Leeds semi-final, they would have been right in the referee's face. They'd have been making a big deal of it. Clark didn't roll about, really. He just kind of looked a bit pissed off. Um, and I think if that had been at home, it definitely would have been a yellow. And I think if the players had reacted a bit stronger, then it would definitely have been a yellow. Anton, I'm going to give you some credit at this point because in our last podcast, you did flag up the possibility of playing a diamond and two up top. And uh, lo and behold, in the next game against Middlesbrough, that's exactly what happened. So uh, fair play to you there. Um, but it was that combo with Lawrence at the tip and, and Martin up front of Marriott that produced arguably our best chance of that first half when the cross came in uh, or the ball came to Martin. Little layoff for Lawrence. Um, do you think he should have done better in that situation? It was a good chance. It, it came at him quickly. It, it was a lovely um, little move and, and lovely little layoff from Martin. He didn't have too much time to set himself. It kind of came quite straight to him, which meant he couldn't really wrap his foot around it. So 
I, I think it's harsh to say he's got to score in that situation. Um, I think it's, it's kind of 50-50 for me. Um, it's, it's, it's a tricky chance, but good movement. Um, another day it might have gone in. I think he perhaps should have taken it on his left. It seemed to come towards his left and he almost runs round it. I think, I know he's a right-footed player, but it just seemed to just set to the um, to his left foot. But he got the shot off and in fact, I thought the deflection then helped Samba a bit, but Samba made a, another, well, the first of quite a few fine saves, I thought, yesterday. Yeah, Forrest did put bodies on the line and a lot of this will seem like we wasted chances and uh, weren't as clinical as we could have been. But you have to give Forrest credit for being organised and disciplined um, and just defending well, really. That's all they were. I thought they, I thought they were very organised. I thought Warrell was the best player and he got man the match, deservedly so. That's what, um, James, what James are made of. Yeah, time. exactly. He's been dreaming about that for weeks, so <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but I also thought Samba was the very close second. I thought he was excellent. He came claim crosses, um, mopped up after the back four, um, and he looked dominant, he looked imposing, and he made some, some solid saves as well. I don't think losing a game always means that all of your players play badly, but judging by some of the reaction to uh, Dwayne Holmes's performance, uh, he was, uh, you know, a lot of fans said that he played really badly and that someone said he had a shocker and that it was one of his worst games for us. I think for the record, I didn't think he did that badly. I mean, there were times in the first half when he gave the ball away a bit cheaply and at the other end of the pitch, we have talked about before that his end products isn't always quite there is it there was an instance of that in the Borough game that we'll come on to Kutz do you think he was our biggest underperformer on the day against Forest? I thought that him and Shinny kind of both did the things which we expect them to do quite well which is kind of Shinny he wins the ball quite well in midfield normally keeps it quite simple um, and Holmes is good on the kind of counter transition turning away from players and breaking forward but I thought that what they both um both lacked yesterday, and I think Chinny was actually equally to, to uh, at fault for this as, as well as Holmes. Was a lot of the simple passes were going awry. It wasn't like they were missing a really cutting edge final ball. Most of our mistakes and and giving possession away sloppy kind of ha- tended to happen around the halfway line. There's lots of balls out to our fullbacks where they had space in front of them, and the ball was played behind them or off for a throw in. Um, and 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 Holmes wasn't the only one to blame for that. That was the only thing I'd really pick up Holmes for. He got beaten very easily by Silver, I think, as well. Um, in the second half on the on the right-hand side of our box. I didn't think he had an awful game. I don't think he had his best game. I just thought we were missing a bit of quality in around the centre circle, really. I thought the final third wasn't the ultimate problem. I think it was just in front of that. I mean, the thing that's so frustrating is, you know, there's not really that much you can say about the goal. It's just a ridiculous gaffe from, from Bogle. He just gets caught in two minds and, and plays it straight to Graven. But before that, we really had given ourselves a foundation in the game. I thought we really built into it Forest were committing more men forward, um, so there were gaps opening up on the break. And apart from that mistake that Bogle made, I don't think they really opened us up any more times than, than we did them. I don't think they threatened us more than we threatened them. Is it fair to say we we could have had a draw, do you think? Uh, without doubt. Um, I didn't think Forrest were going to score. There was a couple of opportunities for Mamiobi from outside the box, um, a couple in, just on the edge of the box, which Roos made some good saves in the first half. Um and Graben takes his chance brilliantly, but it is a huge error from Bogle. And if that's if that would have been someone like Keo or Lawrence giving that away, I'm sure there'd be some huge criticism coming coming in. Bogle knows he's made an error. He was distraught by it, and he'll bounce back. He he had a reasonably good game. It was in fact his run that, uh, and the pass into Martin, which laid off that chance for for Lawrence. So 
yeah, we're going to criticise Bogle because he made that error, but at the same time, we know that he's a he's a great player and he'll he'll have a great season for us. I thought he actually defended pretty well for the majority of the game. Um, it was only that one error really that caused the the big chance, as you say, Sami Amiobi was the, the danger man. He's just so big and unpredictable. His, his legs are the size of Dwayne Holmes, um, so, which makes it quite difficult to defend against. Um, he was the only one really causing us any problems going forward. We, we defended well. Bogle, obviously, it, w- it was a pretty shocking error. And, and I think the whole team was a little bit shell-shocked after that. Um, and there were a lot of loose passes. But we we picked it up again and final 15 minutes, um, we looked much better and, and we could easily have, have come away from that with a draw. A few uh, comments from Rams fans on the Steve Bloomers Washing social channels. Uh, so Mark Andrew Coote posted on our Facebook page, uh, I thought we played well and looks a lot more dangerous when we played the Diamond. Uh, Guy Pearson said on our Twitter page, we didn't deserve a point. We didn't do enough. The first half was even. The second half, Forrest completely bossed it until the last 10 minutes. Uh, Ben Wright said on our Instagram, uh, an even game defined by one moment of madness, much improved away performance and a lot of positives. And uh, Alfie Bratt basically sums up the entire last 10 years of supporting Derby on Instagram. He said, unlucky with a tinge of shambolic. (laughs) (laughs) Sums it nicely. I think it's really harsh to say we didn't deserve a point because if you think about Forrest's chances, other than the one we gifted them and they took very well, what did they create inside our penalty box? Matty Cash had that ball across the box, but no one was on there. A ball across the, the box, great. We can all put ball. I can put a ball across the box, Tom. Are you sure? You. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you think about, can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> think about the Jack Marriott, Chris Martin, Martin Wagon's chance. You know, Martin didn't make contact with that half volley on this on the six yard box. Marriott, the greatest finisher in Derby County's history, according to some fans, should have buried that one. I think he shinned it. It's bloody awful from Jack Marriott. Um, and and Martin Wagon closed his eyes and mistimed the header. In, in again six yard box so to say that we didn't deserve a point you know what we didn't deserve a point because we lost a game but on any other day we probably would have come away with at least a point in that match so on Martin and Marriott I think that's one of the biggest frustrations that I had after, after the game there's definitely potential there for a partnership uh, between Chris Martin and Jack Marriott we just didn't see any of it against Forrest it looked like they were playing different games at, at times I thought they just uh, you know, they just didn't read each other's runs. I don't think they didn't really attempt to take defenders away from each other uh, to create any space. They didn't really look to link up very often. The only time they did was when Martin won that header for Marriott, but was bizarrely just to be offside from a goal kick. Plenty of listeners picked up on this as well, and they mentioned the front two uh, over on our social channels again. Uh, Dave Shaw told us on Facebook, he said, uh, disappointing, but two up top is proving the way to go plenty of chances compared to recent games and uh, James Martin said uh, fine margins if Mary and Martin had buried their sitters near the end it could have been a 2-1 win I mean for me I think their attributes like complement each other really well why isn't it working Tom do you think oh as you said earlier in the pod you gave my brother credit for um, saying we should be playing a 4-4-2 diamond we played it for two games. That's why. I mean, Marriott and Martin have played up front on their own um, all season. In Martin's heyday at, at the club, he was the the central focal uh, centre forward. So, I mean, you can't just change and can't just expect a, a sort of relationship to have built straight away. And that's that's maybe the issue. We've got to give those those two time. And I think even when Waghorn came on and we started to play a bit more direct, put loads of balls into the box, we looked dangerous. So mm. why aren't we doing that before? I know it's not prettier football but it's effective and if we're if we're starting to dominate a side like uh, we were against Forest and like putting the balls into the box and 
Martin and uh, Bogle and Waghorn all won headers against them. Why didn't we do that from minute one? Why didn't we have a, a real go at them? And that's that's perhaps the the frustration from from the lack of like I don't know end product from the uh, from the front two. We're getting into the positions now, which we weren't earlier in the season, and we didn't do anything. I'm just concerned about how toothless we are looking up front, and just the way you know how sort of scared we looked against Forest really in in, in the final third. I know that a lot of that comes down to uh, to like the atmosphere, and it's you know it's harder to to get going and to play when you've got the whole ground telling you that one of your teammates should be in jail, you know. But I just thought there were just poor decisions made, shots scuffed, opportunities not taken. I mean, I, I put a lot of that down to the occasion, but we just need a, an away win for somewhere, don't yeah. we? We just need a performance. Just It doesn't matter how we get it, just to get that confidence to string some results together. I'm, I'm surprised you feel that way, Chris, because I came away from that match thinking, wow, we, we just actually arguably bossed a, a team away from home in terms of creating chances and, and, and making openings and getting men into the box. When we went to Charlton away, we went to Brentford away, we went to Hull away, um, we didn't see any of that. Even at Hull, when we arguably played better for them, we didn't really create loads of chances. We weren't getting the ball in the box and having opportunities. For me, I found yesterday really promising as, as going forward. We actually we took it to Forest and Forest are you know they're up challenging for the playoffs at the moment and they're in the playoffs. And I thought, yeah, there might not be that quite perfect chemistry yet between Martin and, and, and Marriott, but Martin and, and Lawrence is definitely a thing. That's that's kicking off. Yeah, I mean, the difficult thing is creating the chances and, and, and we are creating the chances. The, the goals will come eventually. We, we've got good finishes in the team with Martin, Marriott, Lawrence can score as well. So once once the goal, once the first goal comes, I, I feel like we might hammer someone three or four nil because we, we are creating a lot of opportunities to diamond and, and two up top does seem to be the the way forward in terms of fluidity fluidity in, in in the attack and and creating those opportunities so i think it's only a matter of time i think uh if sky sports have now got their tongue firmly out of nottingham forest backside uh and we got back down to earth in terms of what we we saw from that forest team yesterday they're pretty average and if forest are having a great season it's going to be their year and they're going to get in the top six or maybe challenge automatic promotion We've, we've hit this Derby team quite a lot this year. Derby aren't far from that at all because I, I think Derby going away from home uh, to Forest, matching them, creating the better chances and we're just perhaps unlucky not to get the result. If that's a poor Derby side then and that's a good Forest side, then God help Forest because like, if they're going to get into the top six, we've got a real chance and I don't think we are top six quality. I think what I mean is to clarify what I said before is that I, I, I do recognise that we created more chances got more balls in the box and bodies in the box, but I was just disappointed that we didn't put any of them away or do better with the chances that we made, really. I think with players like Martin and Marriott and their goal records, um, I was just expecting at least one of those to go in. Oh, I agree. Uh, Jack Marriott should definitely have scored that chance. But on another, on another day, we win that 2-1, though. Yeah. It's just one of those. It's a f- Football is a game of fine margins and all those cliches and stuff, and the championships are very competitive um, sort of league. And if you look back to previous performances, if we say Leeds, we didn't deserve a draw that day and we got a draw. Um, yesterday against Forest, we deserved a draw and we didn't. And that's that's because we didn't take our chance or our chances that we did have. And I think we had two really clear-cut chances, um, which arguably should have been goals. Lawrence in the first half, uh, Marriott in the second half. We take those two. Forest take their one chance. We win 2-1, as you say. But we didn't, and that's that's what's happened, and that's the difference at the end of the day. But as a performance, I think we're, we're, we are showing some some good green shoots of recovery, I think, and maybe we can do something with this season. And just, just lastly, Philip Koku, 
often when you see foreign managers come into a league often they're accused of being stubborn or, or sticking to one system and, and not changing not adapting Cock has definitely shown that he's not that kind of manager he, he is willing to adapt you know when he came here people said oh he loves 4-3-3 or definitely just be 4-3-3 he's played four or five different formations so far this season and you could say that's a sign of indecision or not knowing his squad well, yeah, he probably doesn't know his squad. He's still getting to know his squad. He's had a very short pre-season, all the other usual stuff that's gone on, and he's still working out what's best, and he's worked out finally that we haven't got the quality in the wide areas, so let's try a different system. And I think there's some... some. They've got two more weeks now to work on the diamond, hopefully, if he's going to stick with that. And it, it, I think it might well pay, pay well dividends. Tom's had his say on this one. Objectively, Kutch and, uh, and Anton, do you think this could be Forest year? I mean, could this be the season where they finish above us for the first time in six years and maybe crack the top six? So I, I don't think this Forest team is is actually that good. They, they've been picking up a lot of points and they've been grinding out results. Fair play to them. Um, picking up some really good performances. I think they are overperforming in terms of their league position at the moment. And I, I think it will settle down into a kind of mid-table finish for both sides. I think it will be much closer when it when it comes to the end of the season. I think what potentially could work in Forrest's favour, because it's not a great league this season so far from what we can see, having a decent defence and well-organised could take you a long, long way. And they've got players like Amiobi, Silva, Graben. Obviously, uh, Graben's going to score 20 goals probably again this season that this could be the kind of season where one of those kind of just well-organized teams with, with a couple of goal scorers will will challenge top two and, and, and be top six um and so for us may well get into top six i don't think they're a great team but i don't think it's a great league so i think it's still pretty open we've been fairly fortunate in our lifetimes that for the majority of that we have been better than forest and it wouldn't surprise me to be a slightly below forest this year but i'm not necessarily worried about forest going to run away with the league because i they're a functional decent uh, outfit and Lamucci's done a done a good job to get them there um i think they've got some good defenders and i think i was very impressed with samba in goal yesterday too um, and that's maybe what we haven't got and that's the difference if we could defend properly and cut out those mistakes we would be on the edge of the top six. And if we'd have won yesterday, I think we'd have been seventh or eighth. So it shows, considering we've had a poor season so far, um, it shows how tight the league is. Three defeats on the spin away from home then, but uh, four wins on the bounce at Pride Park. Uh, In a second, we'll be talking about the latest of those home wins, the 2-0 win over Middlesbrough recently. But before we get to that, you can subscribe to Steve Bloomer's Washing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts for Apple users or hit follow on SoundCloud or Spotify. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Inside right position, 10 yards from the box. Larsen and Asanovic over it. Larsen takes it right foot. He bears It's in! What a shot! 27 yards and Peter Schmeichel never so melted! Top right-hand corner, Jakob Larsson bursts the net, what a shot! Schmeichel, the best goalkeeper in the world, waved it goodbye. Right in the top corner, Manchester United couldn't believe it. Right then, still loads to discuss, but before we do, we are delighted to announce our latest ex-RAM interview. We try and do these where we can on Steve Bloomer's washing and we've got another juicy chat lined up for around uh, a week's time I think we're going to put it out during the international break so the current Derby side may have forgotten how to score against Forest, but this guy knew a thing or two about bagging in the East Midlands Derby 
I, I don't care if, if I'm out injured or I'm not playing and somebody else has been selected in front of me. I want them to do well because in the end, I want Derby to do well and I wanted Derby to get promoted and I wanted them to win every game that I was playing in or I wasn't involved in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a, a Derby fan and stuff. And I think Derby have gave me so much in my life. Uh, I've had a great great relationship with the fans. So I, think, I think the Derby fans just appreciate somebody giving 100% um, in every game. Uh, you play in and I think that's that's all they ask for and I think if you do that you'll get on well with them yeah that's right Craig Bryson joined us on the pod recently for a for a brilliant revealing fascinating chat about his eight seasons at the club and uh, Kutch no spoilers but uh, there were one or two pretty juicy revelations in there weren't there yeah there was and yeah you're right no spoilers it's hard to yeah very candid obviously Craig played under about 105 different managers in his spell (laughs) At Derby County, and uh, you know, we, we got a little appraisal, I think, pretty much, of, of each of them, and maybe their strengths and weaknesses. Maybe build a Frankenstein monster, I think we might do. We did. That was a, a question I was not expecting, but works <laughs> quite well in the end. Um, so anyway, um, on to Middlesbrough then, that 2-0 win at Pride Park. The question is, Tom and Anson, do you think Borough are dark horses to go down? I mean, they were absolutely <laughs> shocking, weren't they? They were so bad. We've criticised Derby's defending, and my God, Borough are worse. So it made me feel quite good watching uh, watching Middlesbrough be so poor, and it also made me feel quite good because uh, Steve Gibson's their owner, and they're shocking, and I really hope they go down. It's just perspective, isn't it, Anton? Because, yeah, we've had a lot of problems this season, but it's always quite hard to... Remember sometimes that um, there are plenty of teams worse off than you in this division. There are plenty of other teams like Borough who have been up there as promotion contenders, but it can't be sustained forever. Like the problems we have, they're not exclusive to us. And God knows, Borough were like evidence of that when we played them. Yeah, and I think it was the perfect opposition for us last week. Actually, kind of trying to get out of the bit of a rut that we're in um, after all the recent events, change of formation as well. Um, kind of getting some players back in the goals, getting Tom Lawrence um, back on side with the fans. So it couldn't have been better and, and it was a really commanding performance and, and we looked really good. It almost went horribly wrong though in that first couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, with, with the exact same mistake that we made against Forrest, um, yeah. Curtis Davis with that back pass to uh, Asamba Longa. But to be fair to Matt Clark, you put in at one hell of a block to, to keep it out. Um, yeah, we, that exact same mistake we got away with it and we're, we're going to use that phrase fine margins again but <laughs> works in our favour on this occasion yeah I think I think from that moment on though Derby controlled uh, the game against Middlesbrough they, they clearly didn't really have any defensive shape I know from Middlesbrough fans there's been a lot of criticism of Woodgate he's a club legend but <clears throat> his pedigree as a manager is not not proven and it's certainly seeing that he's not um, getting the best out of that Middlesbrough side they've got some good players such as Asombolonga George Savile I know he was sent off but um but in that side, but they're they're clearly desperate, aren't they? Really poor, and it would be surprised. I'd be surprised if if Woodgate's still in the job by by Christmas. They looked disinterested. You know the way that Tom Lawrence scored his uh, second goal, when yeah, kind of Wagon did quite well to block off. I think the right back, but uh, Flint and Ayala looked really disinterested at, at centre back, and Tom just walked through. You know, walked from the eighteen yard line to the to the six yard line under no challenge and just and just passed it into the into, it was a decent finish, but he was given all the space of, of the whole box. And uh, that's that's the kind of thing which is really worrying to see if you if you're a Millsborough fan to see that yeah, just no challenge made at all. And there's been times when Derby have done that and I I don't think I've ever seen someone walk through a Derby County box that easily though. 
Was Flint was Flint playing? I know what, I, 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 I was playing. I thought it was Flint and Ireland, but either way, whoever the six was for for yeah. Middlesbrough, I can't remember who. If it's not Flint, um, he was just all over the place and away from Lawrence. And um, yeah, as you say, Wagon did a nice block on the the right back, and Lawrence does stroll through. It's like a stroll in the park and clips it over the keeper and a great finish. And you can only beat what's in front of you, Anton. But how how about that lovely little uh, little layoff from Chrissy Martin for the for the opener? Great little uh, great little one too one to, two, to one put two. Lawrence in. Yeah, I mean we've we've seen flashes of Chris Martin back to his best over the last few weeks. Those little touches is is what made him become so popular with the fans. What kind of made him become really difficult to play against for the opposition. And if he can carry on doing that with with the likes of Lawrence and Marriott getting in and around him, then then we'll, we'll definitely be scoring much more, many more goals over the next few weeks. I mean, Chris Martin hasn't actually scored for a month now since Barnsley, but he has laid on three assists, which have helped us win games uh, against Birmingham, Wigan and Middlesbrough. So showed his value to the team in that way. Do you think his role in, in this side has changed since he was last a main man? Yeah, I think he probably, I think it's probably his days of scoring 20 goals in a season are probably behind him. But I feel like if he's if he's having that kind of impact in the build-up play and laying off chances for other players like Lawrence and hopefully uh, hopefully Jack Marriott as well and Martin Waghorn when he's on the pitch, then which he's already done uh, this season against Birmingham City, then his value his value is there. And if you're playing two up top and you can afford to have one striker who is who is more of a supplier and someone that you play around and play off, but we just need to see Lawrence Waghorn Marriott taking those chances. I want to see more from Martin in the sense of the arrogant strutting around the pitch that he used to do in 2013-14. I want to see more of that because I, I think if he he does get, build that confidence, he will score lots of goals again. Um, Haven't seen us. him win quite as many free kicks as he used to. He used to have yeah. the art of like backing into a defender, going down, winning free kick, getting up, walking off and running into the box like, yeah. all in one movement. Like, he did it so many times. <laughs> I think like, his arse has got smaller, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need uh, the, the bigger arse and the Doesn't have enough junk in the trunk to, to win those free kicks anymore. I don't think he won a single free kick yesterday. And I haven't actually checked that as a statistic, but I don't remember him winning a single free kick yesterday. And the referee didn't give us a lot, granted. And I think Tom picked out, but you know, in particularly from corners, they were Forest defenders were all over Chris Martin. They're, people are terrified of him. He's got that reputation, and for good reason. But I think, yeah, we do want to see him put himself about a bit more. And maybe you need that that arrogance coming back. But I definitely think he's slightly. He's definitely not the player he was in 2014. Although he is definitely bringing a lot of value to his team. The uh, sending off, I think to be fair, we were well on top before the sending off. I guess the question is, what, what was it one for you? It was, it was a really bad challenge and Kutch, you noted that Bielik chucked in five to seven extra rolls yeah. on the floor just to really milk it. I, I think it was five rolls when he first went down and he rolled almost towards the touchline and stopped and he started rolling back the other way another three <laughs> times and that was eight rolls I reckon and that's what Matt Clark needs to be learning from because he might have got at least a yellow out of that That's the sort player. of togetherness we need to see from this squad. Yeah, that's it? what... He needs to be learning how to milk fouls better. Definitely. I, <laughs> yeah, I think Bielik, um I think Bielik was in quite a lot of pain from that. Yeah. It was a bad tackle. He's gone onto his, onto his uh, kicking foot but then also his standing leg and it could have been a really, really nasty tackle. Not actually dissimilar for me from Lawrence's tackle uh, yesterday in the Forest game where I thought he was lucky to only be shown a yellow it should have been a foul to Lawrence uh, just on a side note is that um, but yeah I think George Savile has can have no complaints it's a red card it's a poor tackle and uh, you can't make that sort of challenge in 2019 so yeah, we've talked about some of the stalwarts of this team we mentioned Bryso back there and uh, Chris Martin the other one of course is Richard Keogh um, 
I mean, wh- wh- where do we start with this? We can't, we can't not talk about it, really, because it is it's such a huge issue that's surrounded the club and has done it. It looks like, in theory, it's over for the time being, but in a very real sense, I don't really think we've seen the back of it quite yet either. Um, Keogh Sacked, of course, had 18 months left to run on his contract, but had it terminated following his part in the drink-drive incident. Um, a lot of fans rightly asking why sack and not give the same punishment to, to Tom Lawrence and Mason Bennett. I guess it is just as simple as it being a business decision, really. I mean, it's it's, it's incredibly harsh, but Keogh at, what, 33, or however old he is, has no resale value. If you compare him to someone like Lawrence, who's 25, approaching the peak of his career, has scored three and set up one even since the incident happened, there's no comparison there. And... They were also given very little choice as well, I think. If, if Keo's going to turn down a, uh, a pay cut, even if it is a huge one, is there anything that Darmy County can reasonably do other than get him off the books? Is it is it harsh on Keo, or is it just to emphasise how fortunate Tom Lawrence and Mason Bennett are? I mean, thing is, Richard Keo has not committed a crime in a, in a legal sense. Tom Lawrence and Mason Bennett have committed and been found guilty of committing a crime. Tom Richard Keogh hasn't committed the crime. He's behaved probably very stupidly by allowing his teammates who are considerably younger than him and he's their captain to get in a team get in a car drunk and he's been very stupid to sit in a back seat without his seatbelt on and he was left for you know, could have been left for dead in the back of that car, to be honest, by his teammates. But you're right, it's purely a business decision. If Keogh had come out of that with a torn hamstring i don't know how you tear a hamstring in a, in a car crash but you know what i mean if, he's, if he comes out of that 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 incident with a one month injury two month injury then he stays at a club and he probably gets a fine which is probably less than the fine that tom lawrence and mason bennett got and i think mel morris has looked at it and gone you got yourself in a stupid situation you, you put yourself out for a year and a half you're now no use to me as, a, as, a, as an asset so we'll get rid thank you very much the the disappointing thing for me, I think, out of all of this is that there hasn't really been any acknowledgement of it or any uh, acceptance of responsibility or apology from Keogh for his part in it all. But then if you look at it in a cold light of day, that's not really surprising because he's instructed his lawyers, he's taken it further, he's got support from the PFA and any sort of statement where he admits culpability um, would immediately affect the the legal case that it sounds like he has uh, he has launched. I mean, the closest he came was his uh, his agent, Cos Toffis, um, who came into the media last week and, uh, and and talked to various people about how Keogh was feeling. He said uh, Richard was family at Derby. He played three hundred and fifty six games for the club, and whenever a player commits to a club the way Richard has, you become family. He'll be in the Derby County family for the rest of his life. There won't be many players who will play that many games over the next 50 or 60 years for one club. And he uh, went on to say, when players show that immense loyalty, dedication and commitment to a football club, he's given everything to Derby. He's only missed a handful of games. He's fought in that shirt. He's bled in that shirt. He's cried in that shirt. He loves Derby County and he's got an exceptional relationship with the fans and the staff. He hasn't been able to go in and say goodbye to the staff and to be kicked to the curb is a really difficult pill to swallow. Tom, do you think the club did the right thing? In one word, yeah, I do. Um, and it's a really difficult thing for me to say that because I agree with a lot of what's said there. Keo has been been a, a loyal servant for the last however many years, seven or eight years that he's been at the club. Um, 
but due to his decision to allegedly not put a seatbelt on and to get into the back of a car when someone was drink driving, he has made himself unavailable for selection and to do his job um, for a significant amount of time. We're talking 15 to 20 months here, potentially, that he's out. Well, it's about fourteen, isn't it? I think is it? it's fourteen months at the moment. Yeah. Well, that's that's at the moment, but yeah. How, how if can it all goes to plan, and supposedly he's ahead of schedule, but how can you possibly be ahead of schedule on that? It's all very questionable. But basically, he is not going to be playing for Derby if he was still at the club until Christmas next year. Um, if you yourself at work made a stupid decision and you got yourself injured and were were off work and you couldn't go into work for that amount of time. You would have your wages significantly lowered. You get your, you'd have statutory sick pay. Uh, you wouldn't be getting your full salary. And Derby, I thought, had offered. I don't know what they'd offered, but they supposedly offered three grand. They said it would help him with his rehabilitation. He rejected that. That was Derby's punishment for him, and he, he can't do his job. So why should he be being paid? And if he doesn't accept what the club have offered, it's very, it's very harsh, and it's very difficult to say it. But I think they've done the right thing. So the Times, there was a report in the Times that uh, Keo's. New salary was said to be around three grand a week, down from his reported wages of 29 grand a week. So basically, Derby offered him a 90% pay cut, which is pretty brutal. But that does still work out at more than 140 grand a year, uh, if we're getting, if we're doing the maths on this one. Um, is that just a price that Keo maybe said, to, you know, that maybe Keo just had to pay Anton, given that he's now a disgraced captain of a team who can't play for us more than a year? I, I was hugely surprised that Keo didn't take it, e- even if it was as big as ninety percent, which is what's been reported. It's, he's been given a chance to have access to the medical facilities, kind of rehabilitate his, himself, potentially put a derby shirt back on again, and also build back the relationships with the fans, which were obviously in in tatters after recent incidents. So it, it must be a pride thing. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure why he he wouldn't take that really um, because it's going to be so difficult for him to to get anywhere with another club now that he's out for the next 14 months. He's going to be, what, 35 when he comes back. He, he might not ever play again, certainly not at this level. I think I think his agent said it and I think other commentators and pundits, I think Danny Murphy, who's not particularly the most informed pundit, said it as well that this sets a really dangerous precedent for football that a player could get sacked because he's now out for 18 months. No, a player's got sacked because he put himself in a situation outside of the training ground, outside of the stadium to get himself injured and out for 18 months. It's not the employer's responsibility to pick up the wages for someone if they if they put themselves in a situation which means they're incapable of doing their job, as Tom said. So I feel like it's not a, it's not, there's not a dangerous precedent being set. I think most clubs almost always, I've never heard of an example of a club not sticking by a player if they've injured themselves at training or on their job. I think that would also be probably illegal to do that. Um, so the club have probably, look, I, I kind of trust Mel Morris and the legal advisors that he's probably got. Um, his agent sounded like an interesting character. It'd be interesting to see how this develops going forward. Yeah, I do think that, um, I don't think it's a sort of difficult situation for the club to be in. Um, and I do have sympathy for Keo. Three grand is a lot of money, but then again, he's also used to earning a lot more. So there's different levels in, uh, on that sort of side in terms of expenses and stuff that he might have. Um, but as you say, like he is, he's got to be take some responsibility. And yes, he didn't commit a crime, as you said earlier, Kutch, but he still has brought the club into disrepute. He's meant to be the captain. He's an experienced player. He's meant to lead by example and he hasn't led by example there. Um, he's got himself into a difficult situation. He's become injured and he can't play football. It's a business at the end of the day. So what do you think will be the upshot 
of all this then, uh, Kia's agent was quoted as saying that uh, his client's sacking will, quote, open up a can of worms. You alluded to that in the Danny Murphy comments there, Kutch. And uh, Kia has said they've got legal help, as we said, and support from the PFA. Do you think we're looking at some sort of out-of-court settlement? And I mean, if that is the case, it w- would be embarrassing for Derby, but at least I'm right in thinking I could be wrong, but that wouldn't count towards uh, profitability and sustainability expenditure. I've got no idea if it would count towards that or not. Yeah, I looked at you as if you definitely knew the answer. Um, <laughs> um, you're asking the wrong person. It comes yeah, yeah. nothing. <laughs> um, in terms of out-of-court settlement, I don't think that would be embarrassing for Derby at all because it, well, it depends the size of the out-of-court settlement. If the, if the out-of-court settlement ends up being just 20%, of his of his wages rather than a hundred percent or rather than ten percent and it's probably a win for Derby County. I think Mel Morris it's been reported uh, that Mel Morris had a very, very strong relationship with Richard Keogh. Richard Keogh was Mel Morris's eyes and ears around the club during all the different managers. They obviously were good friends. I think their families were good friends. And Mel Morris is the kind of guy that probably treats people like that with a lot of respect and does take them in. He is a family person. Uh, I think he would have found it very hard to make that decision about Richard Keogh and wouldn't have done so unless he was 100% sure it would work out in their favour in the end. So even if there is, his, his, his gamble might be, we'll offer him 10%. Uh, he'll probably appeal it and we'll probably have to out of court settle for about 30% of his wages. And you know what? Job done. It's it's a sad end, as I said on Twitter a a while ago, it's a sad end to a really great Derby career. But ultimately, he is associated with a Derby side which has got very close but ultimately failed. And that seems to be a very fitting sort of way to talk about Keogh. Very close, not quite there uh, in terms of being one of the greats at Derby County. I mean, we'll come on to this in a future episode to be revealed (laughs) in a few weeks' time hands-on but uh as we said more than 350 appearances but his career at derby ended in the most embarrassing shambolic um ridiculously reckless fashion has Keo's legacy been completely tainted by what by how it ended i don't think so i i think people still look back on his career um with with some fondness he's obviously been a, a great servant to the club over over the last seven or eight years or however long he's been there it is a shame that it had to end in, in, in this way and it, he didn't kind of get a, a, a fond farewell from the fans. But I think we'll still look back at his time at the club um, with, with a lot of positivity. There we go. Let's lighten things up, shall we? This has been very serious for the last few minutes. Uh, Tom, you love A-roads and motorways. We love away grounds. We all love trivia. Talk to me. Well, I prefer trains, to be honest, Chris, because that's how we <laughs> normally get the uh, get to these away grounds. Environmentally, environmentally friendly as well. Yeah, and also allows us to have a cheeky beer. So um, When they're running, am I right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Uh, a lot of difficulty with uh, bus replacements, but never mind. Um, I've got a wear... Great train banter. <laughs> yeah, terrific. <laughs> Moving on, I've got a where am I this week for you, gentlemen. Um, so this the same sort of format. I'm going to give you a clue, and then if you can buzz in by saying your name and then your guess. So to, to explain the rules, we've only done this a handful of times... We have to name the away ground Tom is describing. We get one guess each per clue. Tom, take it away. Uh, clue number one. I am 200 miles from Pride Park. Cut. St Mary's. Incorrect. Chris. Dean Court, Bournemouth. Incorrect. <sighs> Anton, St James's Park. Incorrect. I was built in 1990. Chris. Uh, the Liberty Stadium, Swansea. Incorrect. Catch. Yeah. The Reebok. Incorrect. The capacity of this ground is 9,565. 
Which includes a cheeky little away tennis. Cut. No. <laughs> Chris. I was going to say the Pirelli, but it's definitely closer than two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that as well. Incorrect. Incorrect. Uh, shall I move on? Chris. No, it's not Peterborough, is it? It's not Peterborough, no. Um, no. Recently, I've been in the news due to an abandonment of a game. Chris. Carlisle. Nope. Let's have stadium names, please. <laughs> Don't know it. Next. Uh, Brunton Park. Oh, um, the great man, Craig Bryson, scored a fantastic team goal in a 3-0 victory Chris. in 2013. I don't know the name of the stadium. <laughs> Can I still say it if I know the club but not the stadium name? Kutch. <laughs> I don't think you should. Be honest, <laughs> go on, Chris. Have a go. Uh, it's Yeovil. It is indeed Yeovil Town. And anyone know their ground? The Yeovil Stadium. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Yeovil Court. <laughs> I don't think I know it either. It's the Yeovil Arena. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put you out of your misery. Uh, it's Huge Park. Oh, Huge, that's yeah. it, yeah. Uh, my last uh, quiz, a uh, clue for that was going to be I'm now a non-league team. So uh, I was... That was a tough one. That was a really yeah. tough one. Stad Yeovil. <laughs> Stad Yeovil. <laughs> Good. Got, I'm, I'm off the mark. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, so... We've got a few more pods coming up in the next few weeks. We've got uh, the Bryson interview coming up in November and we'll be back at the end of the month as well and then a special episode to commemorate the end of the 10s. Are we calling it the 10s? Is that what this decade is known as? It has to be, yeah, the noughties, the 10s. Neither's ideal. Anyway, we are going to reveal in podcast form our Derby County Team of the Decade. It's going to be about five minutes long. It's a- <laughs> It took us all night just to work out the format of the episode, so expect uh, expect us to, to disagree for about 45 minutes if you fancy listening to that as well. But until then, Richard, thank you ever so much. Thank you. Tom, thank you. All the best. And Anton, thanks a lot. Cheers. See you again soon. Cheers.